Welcome to Stay Gold, an Outsiders podcast. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I am joined as always by... Esme Mulberry. And we are watching our way through the 2005 release of The Outsiders, the complete novel by Francis Ford Coppola, his re-release and reimagining and expansion of his 1983 film, The Outsiders. But we are watching it five minutes at a time. So we have made it basically to the conclusion of the movie. We're at the 105-minute mark, and we're going to go all the way up to 110. So by the time we get to the end of this segment, we are into the credits of the movie. So, um, yeah, the, we're, we're going to be talking about the, the end game here for the movie. Uh, but before we jump into the five minutes, let's uh, remind ourselves of where we've been in a little segment we call Previously on Stay Gold. Okay. At the beginning of the last five minutes, we see Dally get shot by the cops in the park as the whole gang watches. Ponyboy then passes out. And he's sick. We then see a montage of Ponyboy's court hearing, which he's found not guilty and is told he's allowed to stay under the custody of his brother, Derry. Um, we get a scene at the school where Ponyboy and Cherry meet each other, and she outwardly ignores him. Then Ponyboy's teacher tells him he is failing, but if he writes a good semester theme, he can pass with a C. Then we're at the Curtis house. Derry and Ponyboy get into an argument, and Soda blows up in frustration and runs out of the house. Ponyboy and Derry then catch Soda Pop in the park, and we end as Soda tells them about what it feels like to be pulled between the two brothers. Wow, your summary was way better than my actually going through the five minutes last episode. I think I took an hour and a half going through the um, the courtroom scene, and you did it in like two sentences. So mm-hmm. well done on that. So uh, we pick up this five minutes, still in the park with the three brothers. Soda had been standing kind of apart from his brothers, talking to them as they're sitting on the ground. Mm -hmm. As this five minutes starts, he sits down next to them. um, And he's opening up about his feelings. So he says, Pony boy, Derry could have put you in a boy's home. Worked his way through college. I'm telling you the truth, Pony. You don't want to be like me anyway, because I'm happy working at a gas station, and you'd never be happy doing something like that. So he's saying, you know, like, mm-hmm. Derry sacrificed a lot for you, and you need to be aware of that, and don't look at me as your model. Yeah, well, there's also, there's more reason behind this line in the book where he says something like, in the house when he and Derry are arguing, he says something like, it doesn't matter about getting good grades because, like, Soda Pop did fine and he dropped out and he's happy. Yeah. Which also isn't really true, but... Well, I, but, but, but he is happy. He's, I mean, he's, he's saying here job. he's happy working at a gas station. Yeah, but like, he's not... Ponyboy says that, like, he's happy in his life and in ways he's not. Right, right. He's happy with his job, though. Right. Then he then he turns to Derry and he says, you got to stop yelling at him for every little thing he does. He feels things differently than you. It's bad enough having to listen to you, but when you start trying to make me take sides, we're, we've, we're all we've got left now. If we don't have each other, you end up like Dallas. I don't mean dead either. I mean the way he was before. So please don't fight anymore. And I think that's an interesting an interesting moment is that, like, again, t- to your point that uh, from uh, the last couple episodes that we're getting these different kind of pieces of advice about mm-hmm. how one's supposed to live your life. 
he's looking at Dally and saying, Dally was broken. Yeah. You know, and it's like, this is what happens when somebody is left alone and starts to view the world myopically, like through their own point of view, looking out only for themselves. Mm-hmm. He's like, that's no way for anybody to be. We have a gift in that we have each other. Yeah. Um. So, so Soda makes this sort of plea for them to stick together. And and not to fight anymore. And Derry says, sure, we ain't going to fight no more. And the three brothers hug. And we start to hear the in- instrumental strains of Stay Gold playing. So mm-hmm. this is interesting because this is one of the few scenes along with the scene at Windricksville when they're looking at the sunset where we hear the original score playing. Mm-hmm. And if you've never seen the 1983 cut of this film, this sort of shows you what the whole movie feels like musically right yeah. it is it's it's this kind of feel so they start to walk home together arm in arm and then out of nowhere they start to like race home and they're mm-hmm. they're sprinting and definitely uh pony boy and dairy are leaving soda in their in you know in their dust he, yeah they're, they're both way faster than him which is a, it annoys me a little bit because in the book there's this whole thing about how like i think pony boy is the one who's like I'll race you home and then they all purposely like stay together running home well and i think that doesn't mean that they won't we don't see them run yeah. for that long but like the initial burst of like acceleration <laughs> soda does not have the, yeah. uh, the acceleration of his brothers uh, who are both athletes and soda he's not yeah he rides horses though right does he no well there's a thing in the book where he said he used to but doesn't now okay so yeah he just athleticism is not soda's thing mm-hmm. beauty is soda's thing right <laughs> um so then we cut to pony boy in his room uh, and he's thinking about the semester theme assignment. Um, and this is the setting where the movie opened, right? Pony Boy sitting at his desk. Mm-hmm. Um, so he pulls a photo off the bulletin board and looks at it for a while. And we both try to figure out what he's looking at. Yeah. It's hard to tell. It looks like it's a color photo, right? Yeah. And there's like, sometimes it kind of looks like a building, but like, what? I don't. I'm, I'm, yeah. It feels like there should be an insert shot when he sets the photo down on the desk where we like see what he's looking at. Yeah, because he's taking it off the bulletin board. He doesn't yeah. put it back up. Yeah. It's, he's taking down the picture. I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because, yeah, yeah it, it feels like, oh, what is this? And then we don't ever see what it is mm-hmm. that he was looking at. Um, then he picks up the copy of Gone with the Wind, uh, that he had, they had bought for Johnny in the hospital. And he starts to flip through the pages and he noticed that there is uh, something inside tucked into the pages uh, and it's a letter. So he starts to read the letter and as he reads the letter, we get Johnny's face superimposed on the right hand side of the screen um, Mm -hmm. because it's a letter from Johnny to Pony Boy. So as Pony Boy reads it, we actually hear and see Johnny speak the words that he wrote. Um, So... Here's what Johnny writes. He says, Pony Boy, I asked the nurse to give you this book so you could finish it. It's worth saving those little kids. Their lives are worth more than mine. They have a lot more to live for. Tell Dally I think it's worth it. And at this point, on the left-hand side of the screen, we get superimposed, like, different shots of Dally, like Dally in his car and Dally looking off and Dally, like, so, yeah. so it's, it's sort of like Pony Boy's memory of Dally or maybe Johnny's memory of Dally sort mm-hmm. of visually represented here. Um, he says, I'm going to miss you guys. 
I've been thinking about the, about that in that poem, the guy who wrote it. He met your gold when you're a kid, like green. When you're a kid, everything's new. Dawn, like the way you you dig sunsets, pony. That's gold. Keep it that way. It's a good way to be. I want you to ask Dally to look at one. I don't think he's ever seen a sunset. There's still lots of good in the world. Tell Dally. I don't think he knows. Your buddy, Johnny. And at this point, he folds up the letter. Uh, and Ponyboy kind of looks around for a little bit. And then he starts writing. And we hear what he's writing in voiceover. And so this is just a repeat of the opening of the movie. Um, so what we hear him say as he writes is, When I stepped out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house, I had only two things on my mind, Paul Newman and a ride home. And as he's saying this, we start to see the interior of the movie theater, which we didn't see before, did Mm-mm. we? Um, we start to see the interior of the movie theater. And... Uh, we see people get up because the, the lights have risen because the movie's over. And the camera moves to the exit doors. And as they open, we get this sort of blinding white light of day. So we cut uh, from here to the exterior of the movie theater, which, we, which we've which we seen before. We see Paul Newman uh, in The Hustler is on the, um, on the marquee. Mm-hmm. And uh, from there, we fade to black. So we never see Pony leave that movie theater. No, but- you do. You see a, maybe a glimpse of him. You don't see him. him leave, but he's like on the street walking. You see that? Oh, okay. So it's it's, yeah. it's okay. So it's cut to so it's, so it's a little bit later in that you mm-hmm. don't see him step out. No. Um. So so there's this sense that he is now writing. It's circular, right? He's yeah. writing the story that you just saw, and you could just sort of put this movie on loop, and it would kind of, mm-hmm. um, kind of keep going. Uh, so it fades to black, and then we see the credits start to roll over a golden sunrise or sunset. As Stevie Wonder's Stay Gold starts to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a little bit of those credits. Now, it's interesting. We noticed as we were looking at the credits that although Matt Dillon gets top billing in the opening of the movie, C. Thomas Howell gets it at the close of the movie. Yeah. So um, so that's our five minutes. So it's, a, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's definitely a lot shorter than um, yeah. uh, because we get the credits rolling as part of this. Um, so as we think about the end of the move or the end of the book, um, how much does this line up with the end of the book? Um, in some ways, it does pretty well. You lose a lot just because of like the narration and like what you see. So you do kind of see Ponyboy come, not really like fully come to terms with Johnny's dying, but he admits to himself like he. There's a line where he's like, "Yeah, I know Johnny's dead now." Like he acknowledges it. Um. And then there's a couple lines cut out from Johnny's letter. Some of them are kind of like, you don't lose anything by cutting them out. But the two that I was a little upset about is there's one where at the beginning he says, I don't mind dying now. They cut that one out. Which and is then, interesting because yeah. in the other conversation, he's like, it's too, it's not enough time. Mm-hmm. And it's like kind of right before he says, like, it was worth saving those kids. Is That's his reason. He's like, I don't mind dying now. It was worth it. And then the other line that I'm upset that they cut out, because it's the more, like, life advice of what he should do, it's, um, and don't be so bugged about being a greaser. You still have a lot of time to make yourself what you want. Like, that's, I think, the best advice he gets of, like, don't worry about it right now. You have time. Mm -hmm. 
and you're not you're not bound in by those things. Yeah, like, like you get to you get to craft who you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then after the letter, you lose all this stuff in like great narration where. There's kind of this like call to action of like there needs to be help for people like Dally. And then there's also like before he starts writing, he says something about like someone needs to tell their side of the story. And then there's this other paragraph at the end, too, where he kind there's like little descriptions of Bob, Dally and Johnny. And then it has the line one week took all three of them. And then he starts writing. Hmm. So you miss some really good um of the narration that i actually find like really powerful and meaningful but yeah but it's hard yeah it's hard to think how you would put that in because he would need to be saying it to someone or we yeah. would need to get voiceover before we got to yeah. him writing my thought was you couldn't put that in i just wanted to bring it up because they're like really important parts absolutely absolutely yeah i, I especially the idea of like Someone needs to tell their story. Yeah. You know, like their side of the story. Because mm-hmm. um, there is this sense that like the, you know, if if history is written by the victors and, you know, and as if Randy's right that it's like no matter who wins the fight, like none of this is going to change. It's important that that this story get told. Now, um, as you as you pointed out, S.E. Hinton in high, right, is writing this as a high schooler. Yeah. And she is somebody who lives between these worlds a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, probably more from a Soch background, but has friends who are greasers. Is that? I think it's she's more the greaser side, but she has friends who are Soch. I think that's what it was okay. more. Okay. So, so at any rate, there is this sense of like, you know, wanting to tell this, wanting to tell this version of this story. Um, yeah. So if, if you were to talk about, if you were to rate this kind of final five minutes in terms of its fidelity to the book, what would you, uh, well, how would you rate this on a scale of one, uh, zero to 10? Hmm. I don't know. It's hard. Cause like what is actually said in the movie is pretty much exactly what's said in the book with very slight changes, but there's like so much from the book of like important stuff that they couldn't really put in. Here's, here's how, here's how I would think different. about it. Maybe is like, because this is the end, this is the final like hammer mm-hmm. drop on this. Like, does what gets conveyed in her book in these final moments does it get conveyed here? And that's maybe how I would think about fidelity. I don't think it does. Okay, I don't think it fully does. Because the thing is, is Johnny's letter is the thing that gets him to think about this other stuff. So just Johnny's letter does part of it, but the big parts are like what he has in his head and like again i don't really know how you would do that how you would show that Mm -hmm. but but it's important that it's there it's that's actually like the big part of this is not what johnny says it's what he gets from what johnny says Mm -hmm. is how he processes it and what his takeaways are from it Hmm. yeah yeah so what would you score it we need a number. I think I'd give it like a seven. Okay. Because like it does feel different. It doesn't really hit it. But like stuff that's said is exactly what happens. Right, right. Nothing's changed. Nothing's really cut out. They cut out one thing where it's like Pony Boy like calls his English teacher and he's like, how long should the theme be? And he's like, as long as you want it to be. And I'm kind of glad they cut it out because it was like, okay, It breaks weird. the moment a little. Yeah, yeah. it breaks the moment because you have this like really great paragraph, then that, then the other really great paragraph. Yeah, yeah. Uh, should we do our final deep dive? Yeah. 
All right. So I want to look at the year 1980, the, the box office for the year 1983. Um, what were the top movies that came out that year? Um, and The Outsiders is, you know, as we talked about last time, makes about $25 million on a $10 million budget. Um, so we, we have that as our sort of um, measuring stick to think about the top films of that year. So the top box office movie of 1983 is a little movie called Star Wars The Return of the Jedi. So you think about this movie's coming out, you know, at that, that same year. That movie makes $247 million, which sounds like a lot of money. It would be a that would be a, a, a good hit today, but mm-hmm. you know, forty years ago, two hundred and forty seven million dollars yeah. is a, a lot of money. That's a wildly That's successful a movie. The number two movie uh, is a movie that we saw in the box office we talked about last week, Tootsie, um, which was one of those best picture nominees from the year before, coming out at the end of nineteen eighty two, makes hundred and forty six million. So you can see Star uh, Return of the Jedi is making about a hundred million dollars more than that. Those are the only two movies to make $100 million that year. Number three is the movie Flashdance, making $92.9 million. Uh, the comedy, the Eddie Murphy comedy Trading Places makes $90 million. And then uh, the movie War Games makes $79 million. So those are the top five. Again, The Outsiders makes $25 million. I went through the list and wanted to pull out some um, some other notable movies uh, number eight at the box office was the movie Risky Business. I mentioned that because that is a uh, Tom Cruise movie, right? So this is Cruise's big breakout year where he has three movies, um, All the Right Moves, Risky, Risky Business, and The Outsiders. So Risky Business is his top movie at number eight. Uh, number 12 is the comedy 48 Hours at $57 million. Uh, The Oscar winner from the year, uh, from 1982, Gandhi, makes $49 million this year. Um, number 15 is interesting. A C. Thomas Howell movie, uh, E.T. makes $44 million, which you're like, well, that doesn't seem like that much. That's because E.T. came out early in 1982. It made a ton of money in 1982, and mm. it's still lingering at the box office. It still makes $44 million wow. this year. Um, uh, number 22 at the box office is Terms of Endearment. That's the movie that ends up winning Best Picture for the year 1983. Um, that makes a lot more money as it goes into 1984. Uh, interestingly, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs gets re-released by Disney this year and makes a cool $30 million on re-release. Uh, number 29 at the box office is The Outsiders. Uh, so, that, as I said, that makes $25.7 million. Uh, number 43 at the box office is Cruz's third movie, All the Right Moves. That makes about $17 million. And then all the way down at 125 at the box office is Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish. So he makes mm-hmm. these two S.E. Hinton movies. Um, and uh, The Outsiders makes 10 times as much as Rumblefish. So Rumblefish makes $2.4 million total, where The Outsiders makes $25 million. Um, now, the budgets for each of those movies were $10 million for each of them. So oh. The Outsiders makes $25 million on a $10 million budget. Rumblefish makes $2.5 million on a $10 million budget. So Yikes. really not successful. Yeah, uh, lost it, a lot of money on that. Yeah, one. so I'm, I'm curious to watch Rumblefish. We get a lot mm-hmm. of these. Um, I think Matt Dillon, Diane Lane are both in Rumblefish. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Cage is in Rumblefish. Mickey Rourke is in Rumblefish. So, again, a pretty big stacked cast of young actors uh, but clearly that movie doesn't come off as well at least commercially it doesn't 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I found that interesting. Like, like the Outsiders makes more money in its opening weekend than Rumblefish makes in its entire run. Hmm. So, um, should we give out our final Who Won the Five? Yeah. All right. So I have four nominees here. We have C. Thomas Howell playing Pony Boy, Patrick Swayze playing Derry, Rob Lowe playing Soda Pop. And then I threw Ralph Macchio in here because he actually has quite a few lines in this. Yeah. Um, as he's reading the letter. Uh, do you have feelings about who you'd give this five to? I mean, <sighs> hmm. it's again one of those hard ones is like there's definitely two parts of this mm-hmm. and picking someone from either one feels like you're ignoring the other part. Well, let, let, let's take some people out here. I mean, Swayze has Swayze a line. Swayze can be taken out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interestingly, C. Thomas Howell says almost nothing in this last fight. Yeah, minutes. that's the thing is he's the only one who's in both parts. And it's like he, especially for the second one, he he just sits there. Yeah, I mean, he's doing nonverbal acting. He has the the voiceover of the, you know, as I stepped out of the movie, but he's writing. Yeah. But actually, you know. He doesn't do much. Machio has way more in that. Yeah. Um, because he's the one reading his letter. So I feel like it's Macho or Lowe here. Yeah. So we get the second half of what Lowe has to say or or what Macho has to say. I'm leaning towards Lowe again just because it's like Macho, since it's kind of like he's reading a letter, there's a lot less like emotion in it. Yep. Where like Lowe has like a good emotional acting scene. Yeah, I actually really like it. It's, it's interesting because he ends, because I agree with you. I think we give this to him. Mm-hmm. So he wins these last two because his scene is divided evenly between these two. But I think it's the, if we think about this last 10 minutes of the movie, he's the best part of the last 10 minutes of the yeah. movie. Um, and, and I think what he has to say about, I mean, especially the line about like, you know, if you don't have, if we don't have each other, you turn out like. Like Dallas, and I don't mean dead. I mean the way he was before. Like, yeah, he's real good at that. Mm-hmm. So I think we give this to I think we give this to to Soda Pop himself, Rob Lowe, which is interesting because that means we've gone through twenty two episodes, twenty two five minute chunks, twenty two awards, and we did not award C. Thomas Howell any of these. Yep, and I feel okay about that. I feel like, I do too. I feel like he deserves something for. The entire body of work that is this movie, but I'm not sure there's a five minute chunk where he is the thing that's best in it. I mean, that, yeah. that's really that's really what that uh, what that tells me. Mm-hmm. So we're giving this to Rob Lowe. Um, listeners, let us know what you think. We've reached the end of this movie. Email us channel thirty nine hundred at gmail dot com to let us know uh, to let us know your thoughts. Do you think we've done? See Thomas Howell dirty by not giving him the award for any five-minute segment of this movie. There's not a five-minute segment that he's not in, but we we didn't award him at all. Um, so let us know if you disagree with that, if you think Rob Lowe deserves this, if you think Ralph Macchio deserves this. Let us know what you think of the sort of superimposed heads. I know you restrained yourself. You don't like yeah. this, this look. Let's okay. talk about it. Here's the thing. In the 83 version, this is like... Since you missed the whole courtroom thing, this is like the only superimposed thing that kind of happens. So it's so weird and like really funny. And it's like it the first time I watched it, I was laughing so hard. And in the book, this is the part where I like cry. So it's this hard thing of like, I don't like in the movie that this is so distracting mm-hmm. 
that you don't listen to what he's saying but in the 2005 since there's more of the like superimposed split screen stuff like it's better they walk up to it better yeah it's not as weird now do you in the 83 cut was it the Matt Dillon stuff or the Machio stuff or both? It was both. It was more the Matt Dillon stuff. Okay. But it's both. Because that's weirder because the Matt Dillon stuff are like clips of him, you know. Yeah. Where where, where the Machio part is like- It's like him like, reading. Yeah. I wish he looked, I wish it was a little bit, looked a little bit different. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's a weird close up on him. Yeah. But it's not like him it, in the hospital. So it's not the version uh-huh, of him that, that wrote, wrote the letter. Yeah. So it's uh, and it's then like a zoom in on his face. Yeah, too. The, the end is the, real weird yeah. with the zoom. So so I agree that that's a little awkward, and it's unfortunate that it's the very end of the movie. Yeah, and, it's, it's, and you kind of leave thinking, what was that? Yeah, especially yeah. And it's, in the eighty three one, and it's distracting from a really important part of the. Yeah, I almost wonder if you just don't do the superimpose and you just do the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would be curious to see what it would look like if the voice was Johnny, but then what it would look like if the voice was was Pony reading, you know? Yeah. Now, before when we did the letter from Soda, we got Rob Lowe's voice, so I guess to be consistent, we would do we would do that. Yeah. So. But but I agree. So let us know how do you feel about the superimposed heads? Mm-hmm. Channel thirty nine hundred at gmail dot com. We are eager to hear your thoughts that is all the time that we have we finished the movie but there's still about five minutes of credits left so we're gonna do one more episode we're not gonna break down the credits because we don't need to do that we've already talked about the additional music and all that but we want to do one more episode next week to just kind of wrap up our thoughts about the movie as a whole um, and maybe talk about some other directions we might want to go if there's some one-off episodes attached to this. We might talk about those and dream about those a little bit. So if you have thoughts about those, please uh, feel free to email us, channel3900 at gmail.com. If you've got ideas on what other outsiders-adjacent things we might explore over the next couple of years, that is all the time that we have. But we will be back next week to wrap up this podcast until then stay gold